Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Dr. Stephen Bradley, your host. For the first time in the three-year history of the Black Doctors Podcast, this episode was edited by, by someone other than myself. I outsourced the editing, so please listen. Give us some feedback if the audio sounds good. We may continue to outsource the editing kind of save some time, obviously, then I don't have to do all the editing. In a very timely episode, this week we're talking with two women anesthesiologists, Drs. Ibeki and Mohudin join us. They are also podcast hosts. They host the Ivy Drip podcast. I say this is great timing because at the tail end of August, a paper dropped in JAMA that's making the rounds on the internet. It was entitled Surgeon Sex and Long-Term Postoperative Outcomes Among Patients Undergoing Common Surgeries. We'll skip down to the conclusions, which is the way most of us read papers anyways, unless you actually know how to read a paper. But after accounting for patient, procedure, surgeon, anesthesiologist, and hospital characteristics, the findings of this cohort study suggested that patients treated by female surgeons have lower rates of adverse postoperative outcomes including death at 90 days and one year after surgery, compared with those treated by male surgeons. These findings further support differences in patient outcomes based on physician sex that warrant deeper study regarding underlying causes and potential solutions. There's obviously a lot more to the study than just a conclusion. This analysis showed that 90 days after an operation, 13.9% of patients treated by a male surgeon had adverse postoperative events, which is a catch-all term that includes death and medical complications ranging from problems that require further surgery to major infections, heart attacks, and strokes. The equivalent figure for patients seen by female surgeons was 12.5%. As with, you know, it was this was an observational study, so there's certain things you need to take into account as you're trying to extrapolate the results from this study, but this coincides with other pieces of research that looked at... Uh, that uh, poses a similar question. So the data is out there, the research is out there. We for sure need to continue to work to increase the number of women physicians that we have. Because obviously, you know, one diversity just helps improve the quality of care that's being delivered. Definitely something that we can all learn and grow from in this study. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then we'll join... Dr. Zebeki and Mohideen and hear about their incredible story into the field of anesthesiology and podcasters and side hustles and all the amazing things that they're up to. Hello, welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I am Stephen, your host. As you know, I'm anesthesiologist and podcaster. I am joined today by two fellow anesthesiologists and podcasters, Dr. Dion Ibeki and Dr. Maliha Mohideen. They are the hosts and creators of the Ivy Drip podcast, and we are so honored to have them join us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yes, the honor is ours. So, Malia, can we start with introductions? Malia, can you just tell us, you know, who you are and your pathway through training? So, yeah, I actually grew up outside of Philadelphia, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I'm going back to the beginning. Oh, yeah. But I... We met in residency. We went to Mass General Brigham. Now it's called Mass General Brigham. Okay. This is Brigham in Boston. And we graduated in 2016. We, I've been practicing general anesthesia in Scottsdale, Arizona since then. I'm still out here. And I had sort of a non, I guess, non-traditional. I went to undergrad in New York, 
I wasn't sure if I wanted to do medicine. I come from a very medical heavy background, like in the sense of my dad's a physician. I have two siblings. They're both physicians. Yeah, like pick a specialty. We got it covered in our family, <laughs> extended family. And so I wasn't sure if that was what I wanted to do. So I actually ended up working in consulting. Really? When I graduated, I moved to Boston and I did, they have a big biotech is really big in Boston. And so I did consulting there. And I got to understand like the pharmaceutical industry and like the other side of healthcare, the business side of healthcare. And And you still joined after learning all of that. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, it was really interesting because and we can talk about that later. But understanding the side from a policy perspective, from a pharmaceutical perspective and an insurance perspective, maybe wanted to go into public health and go into medicine. And I wasn't sure actually that I wanted to practice medicine. I was actually thinking, because there are a lot of people who are MD, MBAs, who do not practice or MDs. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so when I applied to med school, I wasn't 100% that I wanted to practice afterwards. I was like, but with this degree, I can kind of do whatever I want in the healthcare space. And it was through residence, I mean, through medical school, though, I realized I actually did really enjoy it. Although I still have a strong interest in public health, which is why what you'll see in it's kind of the motivation, actually, and a continuation of why I came up with the idea of doing the podcast. Wow, fantastic. Well, nice to meet you yeah. and welcome. Dion, what about you? Yeah, so I grew up in southwest suburbs of Chicago, Naperville, Bolingbrook okay. area, and I took the very traditional route. You know, I went to undergrad at University of Michigan went straight to medical school at University of Pittsburgh, and then went to Brigham and Women's for anesthesia residency. I knew from, I would say, fourth grade that I wanted to be a doctor. So, yeah, it was very early on for me. And I really don't know why, because didn't, I mean, I had some physicians in my family, like my uncles, maybe a cousin, but my parents, not really. My dad's an engineer. My mom did food and nutrition. But for whatever reason, that spark was in me and it, the flame just kept growing through, you know, middle school and high school. And so and I felt like if I tried to do anything else or if I stopped that momentum, I probably wouldn't have finished. So I'm glad I for me, it was important for me to go straight through. Met Maliha. And let me tell you, she was my rock. Okay. okay? Her and I. Yeah, yeah. That's why we have similar personalities. And so we studied for every exam <laughs> together. We were the first class, the anesthesia class, to do the basic. Yeah, yeah. So we were the guinea pigs for that <laughs> exam. Yeah. So her and I would go to, we're Panera Bread. <laughs> that was our yep. spot. They opened early. <laughs> and they had food. They that had was food. really the key. So Panera Bread was our spot. We would study and we made it through. I'll tell you the reason why I chose Brigham. Yeah. I don't know how, about you, Leha, but for me, when I was going through interviews, I always looked at the roster, the class. I wanted to see the makeup of the class and see if I would fit in. And Brigham had a lot of women, a lot of women in leadership too. And I felt like that was important because the reason why I chose anesthesia was because of the work-life balance. I always knew that I wanted to be a present mom, wanted to have a family. And I felt like this was the one specialty that would allow me to do that. So seeing women who were ascending in their careers at Brigham 
let me know that I would be surrounded with people who can mentor me and show me how to balance working as an anesthesiologist and, you know, being a mom and wife or whatever. So that's my story. I mean, I second that. That was a huge (laughs) reason why I chose my job. Yeah. And yeah, because, you know, there were a couple of reasons. So I had one inside knowledge track. I have an older brother who's an anesthesiologist as well. He trained at Mass General much earlier than I did. However, he did his pain fellowship at Brigham. And being the older brother that he is, he was like, this is a good fit for you. Because at that time I was married. I actually did have very little children at that time. That's like a whole nother podcast. Presidency, (laughs) marriage, and kids. And it was the best work-life balance. And there were women who were part of the program, like the, who was it? The uh, residency program, not the director, but the, I don't want to say recruiter. Well, one of them was the doctor. Yeah, Mona was like an assistant program director. There was just a lot of things. They were all in, yeah, leadership roles. And they all, that was part of the interview. I also picked Brigham because I did research in obstetrics. Brigham has a huge high-risk obstetrics program. Yeah. And I did that. I did that Thayer grant. I don't know yeah, if you're yeah. familiar with it. I did it in, at Northwestern, which also is a big obstetric program. Cynthia Wong mm-hmm. is there. Like some of the big names are there. And Brigham has that reputation. And I wasn't sure if I want to do academic or private practice, but the women, they were very supportive. They were like, yes. we can do this. They knew I had like, I literally had a one-year-old and a baby when oh I my started God. As, at anesthesia residency. As yeah. a resident, as a resident, I was tell her I was like I could barely mm-hmm. take care of myself. I mean, I was yeah. eating ramen, and here she is taking care of a one year old. It was crazy. Yeah, I really admire her balance. I had a, a like a thirty two year old kid when I started. Yeah, it's so critical you. you pick that program that fit. That's awesome, and I think you know as a black male applicant, I definitely looked at the diversity and programs, yes. but not you know that perspective as a woman physician looking at the women that are in leadership roles, like it says so much more about a program. So that's why I love that uh, that perspective. And for those folks that are getting ready to start applying for residencies, definitely something to look for. Absolutely. I, I love, you know, having guests on for podcasts because a lot of the guests are my friends. We actually just met the first time for this recording. But when I have a guest on that there's like years and years of backstory and we just want to like kiki the whole uh-huh. episode. But if you're <laughs> listening, you're like, I don't want to hear this. I am so curious what it was like when you first met like how did you guys bond and like yeah what was that that story do you want me to tell the cute moment (laughs) tell it (laughs) okay so dion first of all i cannot tell you that like without dion being in that program i don't know if i would have made it through okay Okay. but our meet cute moment was we had orientation i don't know if you felt the same way quite frankly when you saw me but when we were at orientation, it's so classic Boston, like in a pub, okay, oh. which is not my scene okay. for the record. Not my scene. No, I just I don't even drink, so I'm oh, like, yeah. okay, I'm at a pub, and very Boston. It like started with like a mix something, like some Irish, of you know, right, right, pub. right, and you know, and people are. And I felt like a lot of people knew each other because they did their intern year there, mm-hmm. and neither Dion and I did our like PGY one year there Mm -hmm. so we were kind of new coming in and there was like a cohort of the class that actually does know each other and i just remember seeing dion for the first time this really does sound romantic (laughs) i was like she was like 
dressed to the nines. She looked perfect. And I was like, you know, I had this like brand new child and I was like, oh my God. Like, I was like, this is like, this is what I'm dealing with right now. And she was just so nice and she was so sweet. I just remember she was just friendly. She has this huge smile and it's very disarming. And I always joke because we would go through the hospital and I'm like, I don't know, in residency, they give you morning break, like 15 minutes. They're so nice in residency. (laughs) And sometimes Dion and I would overlap. And oh my God, it's like you have, I'm like, we're on the clock here. We have 30 minutes. We got to grab something to eat. And this girl knew everybody in the hospital. We could not (laughs) walk 20 feet without somebody being like, hey, my glasses. And she's, how was your trip? I mean, it could be like, I'm not talking about doctors. I'm not talking even about co-residents. Like the custodians, the like elevate people in the elevator, the lab techs. I'm like, this is great, but we have 10 minutes yeah. to get back into the OR. So just her personality is, I'm like all business, like let's go. And she's like, stop and smell the roses, love smile, it. smile. And it just, I mean, there's no way you can't love that personality. You are so funny love it it's true, okay <laughs> you're cracking me up so me and maliha had two different agendas okay she was married with kids i was very much so okay. single understood so- understood i'm gonna be honest the listeners <laughs> listen exactly now to the single women in medicine i'm gonna be you have to be intentional about just like you're intentional about your career you have to be intentional about your love life and i find that is a mistake that a lot of professional women make and i have some good professional women who are mentors for me. And they kind of instilled that mindset, but I think it was kind of innate anyways. So yes, she is right. I did come to the pub dressed up because I didn't know who I was going to meet. I mean, you never know who you're going to meet. Yeah. I ended up meeting Maliha, who ended up being, you know, my friendship, love of my life, my friend, you know, bestie. But yeah, it's so funny that she says that. So I wanted to put the backstory on that. And I think me... And Stephen, you may relate to this. We're going to a space that's predominantly mm-hmm. white. You know, we did what one good thing about Brigham that I also noticed on the roster. They did have some blips of black folks. <laughs> that was another reason. <laughs> a little blip here, a little blip there. So that made me want to, you know, that was another reason why I wanted to go there. But, you know, you're going to see more black and brown faces in other areas. So, mm-hmm. you know, custodials, the anesthesia tech, nurses. So that was another reason why I was social because they were like my family. They were encouraging me. They were allowing me to like keep my head up. They were proud of me, rooting for me. So that was another reason why I was so social with uh, people outside of our field, I guess. And that's, I mean, it is my personality because I was study hard, but also not necessarily party hard, but I want to like let loose, you know, have a gathering at my house. Let's go get drinks. Let's go out. It's not all business all the time. I'm a very, you know, social person. Absolutely. I love it. And I share those. I'm more of a Dion because I talk to everybody. So my best friends, <laughs> like the maintenance folks, and I left my institution for four years yeah. before coming back for fellowship. And so they would remember me and like, oh, yo, Steve's back. My favorite, the highlight was I was a resident, I think a CA3, me and the vice chair, it's like super professional, oh, wow. always kind of like, uh, I mean, not uptight, but you know, you, he's a vice chair of the department. We were going to an airway and one of the environmental services ladies, she had these super long, hot pink dreadlocks, the hot pink locks that like went all the way down her back. <laughs> right, right. 
And as we're like kind of shuffling off to his coach, he walks by. She's like, hey, baby, I brought you a sucker. And she hands me a blow pop. And I just like, don't break stride. I take it. I put it in my pocket. And we just like keep walking. And I see my chair, who's oh my like gosh. always stoic. Like we all kept walking, but he just slow head turned like, what just happened? I'm like, don't worry about it. You wish you had a sucker, don't you? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. They, yeah. you know, give me some food, all the hair tips, everything. Yeah. I, I love that, Sue. And that's so funny. Totally. The other thing about Maliha that I really liked, you know, because when you're in that type of program, you're with a lot of like legacy people, people who have that come from maybe like an upper class. And Maliha was very relatable. We were, we would always joke. I mean, no shade to my class, but like we just felt like we were the more we were normal regular we were the regulars we were the regulars so we're like are we supposed to be here oh we definitely had imposter syndrome right we huge okay we're like i don't know if we really you know fit in but we you know we just did what we had to do we had the mentality of just hunker down study do as well as we can and make it through so that's what like she was like my rock I mean, seriously, my, despite having her family and her kids, she was still someone that I could rely on heavily through yeah. residency. Because we're going through... Just to keep I, each other sane. And that's a huge... I mean, I know a lot of part of your podcast is about mentorship. And this is like an episode, Deanna, we're thinking about doing just July, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. This is, it's a funky age you're in. And our friendship is evident of that in the sense that you're in your 20s and people are in different phases of their life. I was definitely in a phase of survival. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I literally had a baby, two little babies. I'm married. I'm working these crazy hours. I'm at this institution where I felt like I deserved to be there. I had everything to prove that I was there. But you know that pressure Mm -hmm. where it's like, I don't want to be the person who's like, oh, I have a kid. I need to run home. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that vibe. I'm just like, I'm going to hit out of the park. But as a result, I didn't have time to socialize. My life was like work, kids, like work home. And I would take call based on, you know, my that was the beginning of me understanding. I'm taking call. I'm requesting calls so I can be post call for when I need Mm -hmm. to volunteer at my kids preschool or, you know, so that that started. So that was my phase. And Dion's phase was I'm I'm trying (laughs) to get married. Okay. But she was intelligent. I actually think it's very smart because I have a, we have a lot of friends now who put yeah. that on the back burner. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. they graduate and it is, it sounds it's like it's so hard, hard out yeah, there. It is, it's, yeah. it's rough out there, especially at that. So she did the right thing, but we were in a different phase. But we were still able to find each other. We made time for each other. Yeah. We sure we got, it yeah. might have been around studying. Like we would meet at mm-hmm. 6 a.m. Oh, at Panera. When it opened and we would sit for four hours till 10 a.m. on Sundays. And it was like, no joke, get your coffee, get your bagel. We are cut, going through every single multiple choice and being like, why did you do this? What did you do this? You right. know, and uh, we couldn't, I couldn't have made it without a partner. And that advice, by the way, was from anesthesia attendings I had as mentors hmm. who said to me, you have little kids. I know what that's like because you feel like you're missing out. Wake up really early. Carve out three hours every Saturday, Sunday. Don't do like, it's hard for you to do like the one hour a yeah. day. Yeah. 
So my goals were different. Dion and I, like, right? We all those oh, practice yeah. are, you know how everybody's like nailing it, like gunning it on every practice exam? That wasn't us. No. Yeah. I'm right there with you. We're like, when it comes time <laughs> to shine, we'll do right. it. Right. But our goal is to pass, not yeah. to be like resident of the year. It's like, yeah, we had imposter syndrome, but we also, like you said, we knew we deserved to yeah. be there and we didn't feel like we had anything to prove. Okay. Like, yeah. And plus we were both clinically strong too. And I think that also yes, gave yes. us confidence yeah. as well. So our mindset was, let's just do what we need to do to graduate and get good jobs afterwards. That was kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, we were not gunning for resident of the yeah. year. Or <laughs> like we were probably not even in the running. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I love it. I think when it comes to the experiences and advice for people in residency, like there's such a negative rep, especially if you're on med Twitter, like residency is horrible. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There's going to be some valleys. There's some rough times. Oh, yes. But I still have a group chat with all of my co-residents and we Same. talk on a weekly basis. And they're, you know, various spectrums and where they are in their lives right now. But I had so many incredible friends that I made that really got me through. So when I look back to residency, what I see mostly is we had a really good time in Chicago. It was, it's not all bad, I guess, is what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. So what was your experience like, you know, once you got into one of the Harvard programs, you're at the Brigham, because students are going to be applying to programs. And obviously, you know, there's a rank of how strong the anesthesia residency program is, or any residency for that matter. And typically the Ivy League programs are near the top. So what was kind of some of the advantages that you realize throughout residency compared to if you've gone to maybe a smaller um, program? It's so weird. I think that when you go to or when you're privileged enough and you've worked hard to get there, then they're kind of like, well, you're here. We know you can do it. You know what I mean? So because I feel like I've talked to colleagues that have gone to programs that maybe aren't as highly ranked, but they were way more toxic. They were like, it was easier to get kicked out, I think. And I just didn't feel that way at Brigham. I felt like as long as you were doing what you had to do, they were not really gunning to kick you out. Now, I will say as a Black woman, I always just had this feeling of a target on my back. And I think that could have been self-imposed because, again, we deal with that imposter syndrome. There's not many people who look like us. So I always had that paranoia going through. But when I look back at my residency, it wasn't, it really wasn't so bad. And I felt like a lot of our attendings were very supportive, very laid back, nice. And they were just there to teach you what you, the skills that you need to advance in this career and be competent as an anesthesiologist. I don't know. That's how I feel. I feel, I don't know if it's an Ivy League thing. I think it's program specific is what I would say, because now that I'm in private practice, people come from all over, you know, and I know a lot of pro I know of programs that have a great reputation that are malignant or have been historically been malignant. You know, I think Brigham had a reputation. I don't know how it is now. It definitely had a reputation of this when I was applying and I felt it is that it was very friendly environment. Yeah, it was a warm environment. It wasn't like, you know, that lecture you get where I look to your right or look to your left. One of you won't be here at <laughs> oh the gosh. end of the yes. day. 
Okay. <laughs> yes. It was not that at all. Yeah. You know, so even yes. when, and that to me is what drew me to it. In retrospect, sometimes, now that I'm in private practice, the only criticism I would have is that I think they may have babied us a little bit. Because I remember Maybe, being I, a yeah. CA3 mm-hmm, and being mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I need to induce in everything on my own. Like, I don't need an attending in the room because I'm about to do this by myself, yeah. you know? Right. And right. sometimes I felt like they were hovery a little bit in a way that it's actually good to just take the training wheels off and be like, you're on your own. So I do think maybe, I mean, that's almost going swinging the whole other right. way. But I work with people now who actually, my group, when it was started, the origins of my private practice were actually Stanford, MGH, and Brigham. Okay. Those were the starting members. So it's funny because there's some guys out here who like knew the program back back. And they even have that in their head. They're wow. like, oh, the Brigham way is like, and you knew because literally it was a little incestuous. People graduated Brigham and they never left. Yeah. They were like attendings there. So true. I was like, y'all so just true. love it like, here so much. On? Like, yeah, like you nice, can't leave. It's not that nice. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we're out. That's okay. really true. Yeah. So yeah. I think pick your program. Yeah. Like do your research. Mm-hmm. Pick your program. I think, especially for people that are applying, you just because it's an Ivy League program or it's University of Chicago, Ivy League of the Midwest, as they call themselves. Mm-hmm. But yes, it yeah. is. Their goal yeah. is to become a competent board certified anesthesiologist. And most programs will get you there. And then it's about finding yeah. your fit and that support network or whatever else you need as you're looking for a residency program. Right. Awesome. So I still love this story. I love the origin story. And as testament to your bond and your friendship, you're still communicating after all these years and on a regular basis because you're publishing it in the form of a podcast. You host the Ivy Drip podcast and so excited to hear, you know, why you started it and what is your goal and mission? Uh, Okay. So I love podcasts. I've listened to podcasts for a long time. I kind of grew up listening to NPR. Oh, yeah. So love to NPR. me, my favorite podcasts are This American mm-hmm. Life. I love mm-hmm. Moss. I love Snap Judgment. Like these are like keep me company, you know, like when I'm doing stuff around the house. What happened was, so Dee and I were always friends, right? We kept in touch all the time. Oh, yeah. We, you know, I was at her wedding, like all I'm this doing stuff. this case. <laughs> right. What and are so, your thoughts? Exactly. Like... <laughs> Am I crazy? Yeah, there's a lot of I canceled of that. this case, but they, they give me the side eye. I'm like, yeah. So there's a lot of these texts going back and forth. Because, you know, in anesthesia, you're alone. There's no rounding. Right. Yeah. There's no, you know. Uh-huh. So it's like, crap. Like, what would you do? Like, you know, mm-hmm. so there was that going on. And then, you know, COVID hit. Dion always talked. Motherhood happened to Dion, too. Happened to? Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. I think more recently she had some health <laughs> What did you say? It happened. It happened to Came about. And I felt like right, you know, I was giving out like stage. I went a little extreme with my mission to start the family. <laughs> I was giving out sage advice all the time. I was like, very much so. Go. Don't worry about this. Worry about that. And also, Dion actually had a little bit of a health scare. You can address too, Dion later. But during that time, I had always this nice, I'm a journaler, hmm. okay? So even in med school, undergrad, residency particularly, I would journal. And it's funny because I still have my journals from years ago. And I remember talking to Dion a lot about like, God, I really wish there was a way that there's so much knowledge we have, like not textbook knowledge, life knowledge plus medical knowledge. And how do I put that out there? Like there should be a way. 
So she's going through this medical issue where she can talk about that. We're on the phone now all the time because of it. Right. And she lives in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Literally. (laughs) And we were talking about that because I'm like, it's just a quality of life thing. There's like no minorities where you live, you know? And I remember telling her while she was like by herself chilling, start listening to some podcasts. Mm. Like they're great. They keep you company. They lift your mood. You're going for a walk. Like they'll make me laugh. If I want to hear a good story, I'll listen to the moth. If I want it, like I just pick. And so I gave her a starter kit. Little did she know I was kind of grooming her because I had this idea. I was like, Dion, I've had this idea. And I'm like, let's do a podcast. I had in my head, I was like, we should do a pod. I should do like this podcast would be great because I'm tired of hearing about these with social media, like these fad, inaccurate, yeah. not medicine, evidence-based medicine, especially during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it really bothered, it actually bothered me, like deeply bothered me. And, you know, we were talking every day during the pandemic. It was kind of like all these things colliding. It was pandemic and we didn't know how to intubate. We didn't know how to do ICU. We didn't. We were just yeah floundering, just trying yeah. to figure it out on the fly. Yes. So we're talking to each other, trying to be like, well, how do you guys intubate? How do you do an, a crass C-section? Like, what is your protocol? Mm-hmm. That plus Dion had this health scare where I was like, let me call my cousin. Oh, he's a radiologist at Northwestern. Let me call this person. They're your brother-in-law's a neurologist. Like, let's get yeah, as many right. like curbside consults as we can. Okay. And then I said yeah. to Zion, I have this idea. I know you're swamped. She's like drowning. And I'm like, how about this idea? Like, we'll make <laughs> it fun. And, you know, it's this thing that happens. I don't know if you feel this way, Steven, is like, I think when you're younger, you want to do everything by yourself. Yeah. And as I've gotten older, I am like, the more, I mean, I don't say the more the merrier, but I am like, when you find your people and you're like, I just want to do this together. It's going to be so much fun together. Even if I remember telling Dion the first time I told her the idea, I was like, she's like so busy. She's taking full call, working her butt off. And I'm like, with three kids. Ooh. And I'm like, even if you want to guest, like, remember that? I was like, no yeah. matter what input level of input you want to give, it's just Matt, your value is so important that whatever you want to do, I'll take it, you know? And I kind of laid it out like that. And thankfully, she was like, yeah, I can try this to now being like, this is great. And I, what I wanted to use the podcast for was not just anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because although I do believe people don't understand how much anesthesiologists contribute and shed light onto the anonymity of what we do, but I also wanted to use a vehicle to interview other people who might be from backgrounds that are not regularly seen highlight their research highlight their expertise and use it almost as a vehicle to talk about things that might affect minorities everyone but especially you know women or minor people underrepresented populations yeah. and that's what we've tried to start doing i would say we we always say that we're not Sanjay Gupta. We are trying to allow people to be a fly on the wall in our conversations. And Stephen, I'm sure you do that too with your doctor friends. You do those curbside consults. And, you know, we wanted to bring the public into those conversations. We wanted it to be digestible and people to walk away with tangible 
information that they can use to change their lives. You know what I mean? And like she said, we focus on people who aren't always represented, which is good because representation matters. (laughs) And yeah, she did kind of wrote me in, you know, I'm like, okay, podcasts are great. Nice. And then it was like, next week, let's do one. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's easy on, on into it. Right. I, mean, <laughs> I had a master plan. Yes, you did. But I'm glad that she did because we have really good chemistry with our podcast. And, you know, so far it's been really great. And she was really patient because I, like she said, I was swamped at the time and I was, I kept it real with her. I'm like, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to give, but I want to be a part of it. This is what I can do right now. And as, as my work life has changed, then I kind of increased what I'm putting in. But yeah, I think she hit all the points in terms of why we started it and what our aims are. So I don't really have much else. If you are now in terms of me, go ahead. I was going to say, if you're out there listening and not driving, go ahead and scroll over to where we listen to podcasts and sign up for the IV drip. Maliha and Dion have fantastic podcast voice. I don't know that I really have the podcast voice. or Maybe I just hate my voice from editing. But they have like that voice that, that you, you turn it on. It's like, like you said, you listen to NPR. It is very much that like really calm, soothing voice. Editing That's so is, kind is of you. Because thank you. I don't feel that way about my voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listening to yourself, you're just like, oh. I feel that way about Dion all the time. And I'm like, oh, my God, you were like made for radio. Oh, yeah. And oh I, meanwhile, I'm like, how are you my friend with this <laughs> voice? Like, you know. You are oh, you're too much. But it's so funny. And from one podcast editor to another, Maliha does the editing. It's fantastic. And your episodes oh, are very relatable, diverse topics. I saw one from a gastroenterologist that I, I follow on social media. I think a pediatrician. You're talking about respiratory yeah. issues and kids. So it's great right. for, you know, maybe you're in healthcare who's listening, but you have a family member who's going for surgery. They just did an episode on why surgeries often gets canceled, right? That sets back your schedule and, you know, can delay getting health concerns addressed. So even if you are in healthcare, this is a great resource to share to your family members because you know this is some evidence-based information from some podcast hosts that actually care about people that that look like us, a different perspective in healthcare. For sure. Thank you. I really appreciate that scene. I mean, that's the goal, demystifying things that are pretty complicated yes making it easy to digest and hearing it from people that i think people in their head when they think of somebody who's harvard trained they have this preconceived notion of what they sound like and look like and Mm -hmm. when they hear us that's really who we are that's how they listen to us they're like oh we can get into harvard too it must not be that hard. Yeah, I was expecting my messages to be left on red for a little while and like, you know, talk to your people to, to schedule a recording session. We'll get our agent. No. <laughs> oh, no. gosh. I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know the both of you fellow anesthesiologists. Now, Dion, in addition to being mm-hmm. a mother, having sounds like a palatial estate in the in the country, yes. a huge family. No. You're also yes. an entrepreneur. And you are the creator of the Zulisi scrub caps. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I like to wear, I have, my hair is natural. And as you know, we have to wear like those, we have to keep our hair covered in the OR Mm -hmm. and those like disposable ones, not good for my hair. Couldn't even contain it. 
I know Aaliyah's seen me wear like three, four different caps to <laughs> try to contain all of this. Okay. And then if it's not that, like the typical sh- scrub caps, you know, we're just cotton. And so it's like rubbing on your hairline. So I just wanted one that was satin lined. And also that was an homage to my culture. I'm Nigerian. So I wanted to have those fabrics available for everyone. And I launched it in 2020. And to my surprise, people really liked it. And I did pretty well. The only problem was it was really a mom and pop small business thing. So I was, you know, full-time doc, full-time mom, then trying to do everything with this business. So I had to really slow down, especially after my health scare. Then I really shut down. But I am in the process of relaunching. We already have the caps made. We're just kind of making some tweaks. So expect a relaunch of the Zulisi line in August. Yeah. Be on the lookout for that. Yeah. And I want to speak to my middle of nowhere living situation. (laughs) Because I think it's good. I think this is advice for trainees. Okay. Because I think a lot of people when they graduate, they're looking to go to the big cities. And that makes sense. I mean, that's probably where your family is. That's where more people will be. If you're single, you'll probably meet people. And I was trying to go to Chicago because I'm from the Southwest suburbs of Chicago. So I'm like, oh, I want to train. I want to practice in the city. But then when I went to Chicago, the jobs were not what I was looking for. I mean, I did everything out of state. So I had loans that I needed to pay mm-hmm. back. And the money just, I'm going to be honest. I mean, as much as we are altruistic, and we want to help people, this is still a job. And you want to have the financial reward that you know that you can get, essentially. And the Chicago market was just not that great. And a lot of cities are like that because they know that everyone wants to go there so they don't have to be as competitive. I was already, well, I was about to get married. And so I wasn't really in need of a city um, structure. And my husband was flexible. He is an entrepreneur, so he can be anywhere. So we spread our wings and started looking more in southern central Illinois. And as we went further, the money went up, up, up. The benefits went up, up, up. And I thought maybe I'll just do it for like a year or two, but I actually liked it. I liked the pace. So I've been here since, yeah, since we graduated. I've been in central Illinois I'm in a college town, so it's a bigger town, a lot of resources for my kids, more diverse than where I started. Malia was like started in Country Bumpkin, Illinois, and like places I'd never even heard of. But I would encourage trainees, especially if you're already married or in a relationship, but even if you're single and, and you focus on maybe doing it for a short period of time, it's a good one. You're helping patients who have they don't have access to care. You know, the next hospital is maybe 30 miles away. So that's good. And there are people who look like us who are in rural communities. So the first hospital that I went to was like 99% white. And but surprisingly, the patients, the staff, everyone was so nice and respectful, but I couldn't see myself raising my kids there. So then I moved to another rural town that was maybe like 10 to 15% Black, you know, because there were old factories that used to be there. And so I felt like I was really serving my my community, even in that rural setting. So and then I'm getting well compensated for it. And I think that's important. I think we work so hard. We put in 13, 14 years to train 
it's okay to want to be well compensated. This is a competitive specialty. If you're able to get it, you know, to become an anesthesiologist, if that's what you want to do, once you're done, these are the things that you want to consider academic versus private. Me and Maliha, we knew we were private practice yeah. from the beginning. And then the other decisions you have to make are where you're going to live, where you're going to practice. That was kind of part of my decision making. So I just wanted to put that out there. Absolutely. But yes, I am in Middle Earth. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have enjoyed this conversation and even the talks we had offline about the inner workings of the podcast. As we close out, I'm going to put you on the spot. I would love to hear from each of you. What is one thing that has inspired you recently, whether it's a music, a movie, a book? And while you think about that, I just want to shout out once again, the IB Drip podcast. Go ahead and follow them. Check out the Delisi Scrubs. Follow both of these fantastic women on their social media. We'll put all those links in the show notes. But Maliha and Dion, what is inspiring for you? Um, Dion, go for it. Inspiring just in, in terms of like the podcast Anything. that we're doing or just... She went like, to an Usher like, concert. Why oh, don't you talk about that? Oh, boy. Instagram, social media, shade room. <laughs> I haven't put any pictures yet, but yeah, it was a great concert and everyone should go if you have the opportunity. I think what inspires me is our political climate right now. I feel like we are living in the twilight zone. And I feel privileged to be in the position that I am where I, people can, people respect me because of my place in life, because I'm a physician. And that puts me in a very, it gives me the opportunity to speak with yeah. authority in a lot of situations. Like, you know, with my kids being in school, you know, because I'm an anesthesiologist, I can be a lot more present, I think, if versus if I did another specialty. And my presence is, important. As you know, the statistics, you know, Black children yeah. in school, even starting in kindergarten. So that inspires me to continue to do what I do. And then it that spills over to the podcast because, you know, we see the statistics on Black patients, Black maternal morbidity, mortality, things of that nature. And it's so important for Malia and I to be able to dis disseminate this information in a way that people can understand so that they could use it to advocate yeah. for themselves. Because we are living in crazy times. And, you know, I know that we will eventually have guests that could address some of these hard topics, you know. So I think that's what's inspiring me kind of in a negative way, but it's like pushing me to, to keep doing what Love it. I'm doing, if that, if that makes sense. I am going to take it in a different turn. I mean, that's all true, what Deanne said, because we talk about this a lot on the phone. All the time, uh, yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of conversations about politics and little activists we're trying to raise. <laughs> I will say I am a reader. I'm a big reader. Latest book that I've read, and you've probably heard of it, uh, known. It's called The Artist's Way. Have you no, read that? Yeah, it's my list. Okay, you should look into it. It's by Leah Cameron, and I'm just working through it. It's actually a course. It's very, whatever artists, there are a lot of actors, actresses, directors. Um, you'll hear it like name dropped by people, musicians, all this stuff. And I just started reading it. I am a big believer in everybody has this creative ball of energy inside them. Yeah. And I think it has to be explored. And I think a lot of life happiness happens 
when you acknowledge that there's like this creative existence inside of you, no matter if you're working as a physician or you're sciencey or whatever, as evidenced by your music, right, Stephen? <laughs> yes. Like we all have this thing, God-given, if you want to call her God or whatever you believe in, thing in us that there's this creative power and energy. Oh God, I sound really like Hokey. Oh, I'm about to cry. Oh, it my sounds God. corny. This is so no, good. I, but it's true. I really believe this. And I believe that, and you can tell I'm getting older because I wouldn't have thought of it this way. But You're so wise. I know. It's not me. It's her. Like, you know, but I think it's a lot of pads say the same things mm-hmm. in different ways. But yeah. I do believe we all have this creative energy in us. And a lot of our happiness is about getting in touch with that and being in contact with that and utilizing that God-given energy. So whatever that manifests as, and it's going to be unique for every single person, right, is is a a God-given gift. You know, you'll hear artists say, it's not me. There's no ego in this. So like when I do the podcast, I kind of, or when I do the audio editing or when I write, you know, uh, I will put a lot of energy in it, but it's from a creative place as well as a place of just, you know, uh, science of it. And I think it's this idea of sharing. It's important that you tap into that and put time into ta- That's why I'm a big journaler, because I do think writing, conscious stream writing, like getting it out, understanding like where your brain is, what you're thinking every day and like how it affects how you see the world, how it affects how you interact with other people at work. I mean, there are people who will go to work on call and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I got called into this case. There's sometimes Dion and I literally I'm not even joking because Dion's actually very religious as well as will be like it was uh, what a blessing. Yeah. It was such a gift that I was there to provide yeah. the care, you know, and then that it, it's all connected. And so read that Absolutely. book if you're ever interested and in, like especially if you're an art, you don't have to be an artist. Like if you cook, like it doesn't matter. It's just like this thing in us that I feel like has influenced me. So I've been working through that book. Oh my God. My heart is so full and I will definitely get this (laughs) book. Yeah. It spills over into everything that you do when you're in red, like every interaction you have with people is that creative ball. Like you mentioned. Oh gosh. If we don't. Yeah. And you see how things connect, right? Like you see that as you get older, it's like, I know this person here and, but I know this person and then like there's the synthesis of like how they think and what they think and you see collaborations come together and a lot of it's just being tapped into that space. Yeah. Gosh. Well, if we don't stop now, we're going to like start Absolutely. the podcast all over again and go for another hour. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> and there's Wimbledon on that, that. I don't know. Hopefully it's still going on. Well, Malia and Dion, host of the Ivy Drip podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been incredible. Thank you for having us. Thank awesome. you for having us. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, You'll have oh, to return my, my the favor. Pleasure. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Black Doctors podcast. We're here because representation matters.